I invite you to take your Bibles and open up to Psalm 16 this morning. Psalm 16, if you're in the Blue Pew Bible, you can find it on page 453. Psalm 16. We're going to take a one-week break from walking through the book of Galatians and turn to a, a psalm this morning. You know, there are, there are places in, in Scripture, especially in the Psalms, in which we are provided with examples of people and the, the prayers of people uh, who are going through extremely difficult times, challenging times, suffering uh, of different kinds. And, and these are valuable to us because you and I, in this life, we know that we will go through, likewise, times of suffering, times of real challenge, um, and often we'll go through a lot of the doubt that accompanies uh, those times. Now, there are other, especially psalms, that show prayers of people who are living in complete dependence upon the Lord in this life, who are walking daily with the Lord, and, and they provide us a picture of what that looks like. And those, likewise, are are valuable to us because they help to shape our prayers. And they give us an understanding of of what it looks like uh, to live in that that way, and they give us hope. Now, it's that second type of psalm that we are turning to this morning uh, as we open up to Psalm 16. This is, as you'll see in the heading at the top, this is a psalm of David. It's a psalm that shows David in his, his prayer to the Lord, expressing complete confidence in the Lord, a confidence that supersedes any circumstance uh, in his life. And so, so it gives us a picture of what that type of confidence uh, and trust looks like. Now, I think it's important as we uh, open up to this psalm to recognize that it is given in a particular context. Uh, we, we happen to know, unlike some of the, 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 the uh, people in the Bible, we happen to know a fair uh, amount about David, that much of his life was a struggle against adversity. Just open up to uh, the whole book of 1 Samuel, read through that, and you'll see one after another adversity on every front. And so we need this uh, this psalm and others like it to show us what God is able to produce through adversity. You know, if you look back at your own life or, or maybe at, at the lives of, of others who are close to you, you may recognize that dependence and trust in the Lord, as difficult as it, as it may be to hear these words, comes as God shapes us. It comes as God molds us, sometimes through years of suffering, periods of doubt and weakness and indwelling sin. And through it all, what God is producing in the heart of a person that is turned to Him is a heart that's fully committed to Him. And that's what we see here in Psalm 16. I, I'll just remind you, and we'll see it just in the first few words, this is a, this is a prayer. And so let's, as we read through it, let's, 
Have that in mind. Let's uh, think of it and, and treat it as just that, as a prayer. Uh, so Psalm 16, uh, again, page 453 in the Blue Pew Bible. This is God's Word. Preserve me, O God, for in You I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are mine, Lord. I have no good apart from You. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Please join me in prayer. Father, in these words, this prayer of David, we hear and see one who is coming before you, but whose heart is committed to you, sold out to God. Father, we recognize that that is what we need in our hearts. And so we pray this morning that you would open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, and help us to see, help us to also desire those things that only you can make us desire, those things that are right and good. And Father, we pray that you would do that work within us uh, and draw our hearts closer and closer to you. Preserve us, O God, that we can say, for in you we take refuge. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The year was 1753. There was a man by the name of John Wesley, who many here will recognize the name. He was a young pastor, and he was already known in that year for his dedication to godly living and his zeal in preaching the Word. Uh, I'm always humbled when I hear about John Wesley and and men like him and, and how often they would preach throughout the week, often more than ten times per week. Uh, and so he was, he was uh, known for his, uh, his following of the Lord. In October of, of that year, 1735, John Wesley made a trip across the Atlantic to Savannah, Georgia, uh, to minister to the English colonists there. And he was traveling on a, a ship with a, a group of people called the Moravians. Uh, and as they made that trip, they came into a storm, and the storm was severe, uh, and it even broke the main mast of the ship, and it seemed as if they were moments away from death. 
And in the midst of this, John Wesley, this man of God, found himself terrified by the storm uh, and afraid of death. And at the same time, he noticed that this group of people that were there, the Moravians, were singing hymns and they were praying together in the same manner that they had been before the storm began. And you know, as he reflected later, he said he came to the the, the realization that they had a contentment and a trust in the Lord that was completely lacking in his life. It was as if they had an understanding and a knowledge that they were completely safe and secure no matter what the circumstances that they were in. And this was something that although John Wesley had not seen it before, he hadn't recognized it before in this group of people, it showed itself to be genuine in and through the midst of the storm. Now this is something that you, you may have seen in other people's lives. In fact, you may be able to think of a person right now uh, who is a believer in Christ and seems to be filled with joy and a confidence in the Lord no matter what the circumstances are that they're in. Maybe you've seen them when they themselves face the possibility of death uh, or with someone close to them, this tremendous trial. And while they're There's always going to be sadness in loss that we feel. You may have seen a settledness and a security that is not of this world. It's clearly just very different uh, from those who are living in this world. Well, that's what we see David requesting here in the first line of Psalm 16. In fact... Those very first few words are the only request that we see from David throughout this entire psalm. He says, preserve me, O God. In other words, show me to be under your protection. Give me confidence that I am safe and I am secure in you. And then after that, he gives the basis for this request. This, this is why God should fulfill this request. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I'm sorry. He says, preserve me, O God, for in you, because in you I take refuge. And then he's going to go on to say, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Now, this is what God wants of us. He wants hearts that are dedicated and fully committed to him. Do you know what a pie chart is? A pie chart, it's, it's a way of using a, a, a picture or a graph that really draws out to us a part of the whole. You know, if you're, you're a person that likes pie, then it's actually a good, it has a good name because when, when you look at a pie and you come to it and you see, well, it's almost all gone, except there's one little slice left, you know immediately when you look at it. Uh, what the state is of that pie and how much you might be able to to get. We also see it, uh, especially anybody that's worked in in finances a lot, uh, you can see at a glance that part of your paycheck uh, is spent on some, perhaps it's a 
a frivolous or unnecessary set of activities. And it makes it stand out at just a glance where your money is really going. And so it gives immediate feedback. So thinking of a pie chart, wouldn't it be nice if God would give us a pie chart of our hearts? A pie chart that shows the portion of our hearts that are completely dedicated to Him and the portion of our hearts that are dedicated to something else, depending upon something else for our well-being. You know, there's a sense in which He does exactly that, but He does it in a way that's far more effective, I think, than, than just showing us a picture. It's effective because it grabs our attention and it makes a lasting impression upon us. And that is that He interrupts our lives. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, sometimes He'll remove something from our lives that we have become dependent upon. And sometimes in that process, He seems almost ruthless. Uh, we, we may even say, well, He doesn't care for me because He removed that. You know, there are other times when He brings us face to face with our own mortality so that we can see clearly where our dependence lies. And it's at those times that we come to see, to discover most clearly the answer to that question, am I trusting in the Lord or in something else? You know, John Wesley discovered that he was trusting in something else. He knew the Lord. Uh, you know, Almost no one would say that he wasn't committed to the Lord. He prayed diligently. He, he made sure that he was obeying the Lord obediently. And it appears from the outside that he was truly saved, yet his heart was divided. He wasn't fully dependent upon the Lord. You know, we can, we can see the same thing in Jesus' disciples. If you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, we're going to look at verse 23. Now while you're turning there, think about who the disciples were. They were men who had left everything else behind. And they had followed Jesus. Uh, the, the accounts, the early accounts that we see of the disciples said that they, they immediately followed Him. And they left their nets. They left their parents. Uh, they left, in some cases, their, their tax booths, their livelihood. And they followed even with all of that, what did the pie chart of their hearts look like? Uh, look at Matthew 8.23. It says, And when He, this is Jesus, got into the boat, His disciples followed Him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But He, again, this is Jesus, was asleep. Notice, trust, security, confidence, a complete absence of fear with Jesus. But then reading on, it says, And they went and woke Him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And He said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Notice what Jesus did. Remember, He is there with them. What did He do? He opened up the hearts of the disciples. 
and he showed them a picture of their hearts. Even though they had followed Christ, they lacked security and they lacked well-being. Why? Because their hearts weren't fully given over to Christ. They, they lacked faith. They lacked trust. You know, as, as you have gone through the trials of this life, God has brought into your life trials to test you, to reveal your heart, to, to make you ask the question, what, what does the pie chart of my heart look like? Has it shown a great deal of, of trust in the Lord? A heart that is fully dependent upon Him? One that can sing and rejoice in the midst of any circumstance? Like that group of, of Moravians that we looked at. Or is it more like what we can see with John Wesley? Or with his disciples? Or even worse, a heart that's not at all fully dedicated to him? Has it shown fear and anxiety and, and discontentedness and lack of security? You know, what Psalm 16 does for us is it helps us to see that relationship between trusting in the Lord and his provision of security and comfort. We could even say that the theme of this psalm is that God gives security and well-being in our experience of life as we surrender and take refuge in Him. As we commit ourselves to Him with a whole heart. You know, this is what the Lord wants to see of us. That's what He wants to achieve in us. So in this psalm, David's going back and forth, and you see it all the way through, he's going back and forth between meditating upon his surrender and his devotion to the Lord on the one hand, and speaking of his sense of, of security and, and well-being and even joy on the other hand. Now, both of these go hand in hand. Surrender, and the Lord provides. Surrender, and the Lord provides. So as David speaks about the ways that he has surrendered himself to the Lord, he's communicating to us that the Lord provides security and He provides well-being in a couple of areas, in these two areas. First of all, in our outlook in life and upon life. And secondly, in our outlook upon death. As we surrender to Him, the Lord provides us security and well-being in our outlook, first of all, on life. You know, if you'll look with me, verses 3 to 6, what we see here is David dedicating himself to the Lord and to Him alone. And then we see how God has provided him with blessing and security in life. Uh, look with me at verse 3. Verse 3, David shows his dedication to the Lord by showing who and what his heart is drawn to. He, he's, he's showing us here his priorities in life. And he's showing them that, that his priorities are the same as God's priorities. Verse 3 says, As for the saints in the land, he's just talking about the people of God. He's talking about fellow believers. You can look around you. These, 
And he says, as for the saints in the land, these are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Then notice in the next verse, he, he, he draws this contrast between the love of his heart that he's just spoken about and that of other people. Verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Notice the contrast there. Uh, David, David's prayer is showing that he esteems and he values the saints, the people of God, in the same way that God Himself does. That his, his heart finds delight in God's people rather than in the people and in the ways of the world. Even with all of its temporary and deceitful attractions. So it causes us to ask the question, what is, what is my heart drawn to? What is your heart drawn to? Can you use that word delight when it comes to being together with other believers in worship as you are right now? Would you use that word, delight? Do you want to spend time with people of the community of faith? Not merely because we have shared interests together. That's, that's what you call a club. Not merely because of that, but because your delight is what the Lord's delight is. And, and this is not just talking about exclusively being with the people of the church, but it is talking about a heart that's drawn to the people of God because of whose they are. And that's important. Now, if you look at verse 5, uh, David, having surrendered himself to the Lord, uh, we can see here now how, how therefore, how God provided for David and how he experiences that. Verse 5, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And then he says, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You know, you can imagine for a moment that you have received a, a, a large plot of land, an inheritance from, let's say, a great uncle. A land that is rich with resources. Maybe it has a, a, a large homestead on it. And it's, it's beautiful. It's what you had always thought about. You now want for nothing. You've got complete security in this life. You know, that's what this is describing. It's using the language of land grants that were made to the tribes of Israel when they first went into the promised land. Think about the book of of Joshua, when they first went into the land, uh, these, these uh, words here, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, you know, the lines of division between the land. Indeed, I have a, a beautiful inheritance. But here, that blessing is the Lord Himself. Notice He says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. You know, the world's way of thinking is that, that riches and possessions are above all things the most desirable. But true security comes from having the Lord as your portion. What is it that you long to have above all else? Is it financial security? So that you can have peace of mind as you live out your, your, your days and your years in comfort? Is it instant gratification? 
maybe through drugs, through alcohol, through other means, so that you can seem to have a, a sense of peace for a time. Is it people thinking well of you so that you'll have their respect? Or is it the Lord Himself so that you experience His peace and His protection? You know, the world holds out to us a lie and a deception. and says, this is it. This is the thing that you need. Uh, this, if you can make it yours, why then, we have to ask, do the things of the world always lead to sleepless nights and anxiety and addiction and disharmony and hatred between people and a complete lack of true and lasting security. You know, Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 6, Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. You know, as we surrender to the Lord, He will provide a sense of true security and a sense of true peace in our outlook in life as we live our lives, regardless of our circumstances. Remember those words, surrender and the Lord provides. Surrender and the Lord provides. But not only does He provide a sense of security for our lives as we surrender to Him, but He also provides us with security and a sense of well-being as we look upon death. You know, in verses 7 and 8, we, we first see David here showing his, his loyalty and his dedication to the Lord again in praise and obedience. And he's showing that, that this, that God's Word, is his source of counsel. And he, he applies it to his own heart for uh, in instruction. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and the night also my, my heart instructs me. And then he says in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. You know, you can see David's full and complete dedication to the Lord. David's pie chart of his heart is fully filled in with a dedication to the Lord. His chief goal is to love the Lord and to live for Him. These, these are the words of a person who would say, you look back to verse 2, who would say, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from You. Okay, with that, then notice the next word in the, in the text, in verse 9. It's, therefore. Therefore. In other words, on the basis of a heart that's fully submitted to the Lord, David now proclaims these wonderful words. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. This is the place of the dead. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You know, isn't this ultimately what we want? We live our lives here upon the earth always conscious that death is just around the corner. As much as the world tries to hide it, it's always there. You know, we've got people in our lives. Death. Sometimes it's people close to us. 
and it causes us to, to face directly our own mortality. And don't we want to face death knowing that it doesn't have a hold on us? Knowing for certain that we are triumphant over, over it? You know, if you ever watch the, the, the children's video series called The Torchlighters, it's a favorite in our family. We've watched the different videos there for, for years. Uh, but you'll see a short video there on the life of Eric Little. I've talked about Eric Little in, in the past many times. He was, he was Scottish, and he became famous. Uh, he was a runner. He ran in, in the Olympics in an event uh, in which he was not expected to place at all, and he won gold in that event. Well, shortly after uh, his Olympic victory, he gave up fame, and he gave up fortune, and he went to, went to China to serve as a missionary in China. And as this, this Torchlighters video sh- uh, shows, uh, during the Japanese attack on China, Eric Little was, was going out, and he was rescuing Chinese men and women who were wounded and, uh, and, and saving them, bringing them back and having them uh, worked upon by medics. And at one point, he saved a man by the name of Hu Xu, uh, who was taken into the little hospital there for recovery. This was a man who was sour. He was sour toward Eric. He was sour toward the world. Uh, And come to find out as you go a little further, uh, he was sour because he had lost his wife and he had lost his children. Uh, And yet his life had been preserved. And all he wanted was to die. And as Hu Shu watched Eric a little, he became confused. Because there Eric is, risking his life to, to, to save people that he doesn't even know. And so he figures, he finally figures it out in his mind. He says, well, he just doesn't have anything to lose. But then he found out that Eric Little had a wife and children that he loved dearly. But he had sent them away and he had re- remained there risking his life. Or really giving his life because he did end up dying there, in order to save him, to save Hushu, a stranger. And in the movie, you can see that Hushu couldn't get past this. When he lost his wife and children, he lost his, his very will and his reason for living. But Eric Little had a very different way of looking at life and at death. His ultimate reality wasn't what he possessed in this world. It was, it was something that made him want to sacrifice it for Hushu, for a man that he didn't even know. And Hushu realized at that point that this man, Eric Little, had a source of security in life and in death that he knew nothing about. Now that's what David is speaking about here when he says in verse 10, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the place of the dead, or let your Holy One be completely lost. Let your Holy One see corruption. You know, he, David is speaking of himself there, and yet the authors of the New Testament, when they quote this passage, they show that the Holy One spoken of here ultimately is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that the, the means that God provided so that David would not see corruption, so that you and me will not see corruption, the means that God provided is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that ultimately was Eric Little's source of, of security. It was his trust in Christ and his understanding that Christ had sacrificed his life for him that allowed him, Eric, with joy and with complete security and uh, to, to surrender his life, to sacrifice his life for others. And you know at the end of that, uh, that movie, we get to see Hushu's confusion as it turns into understanding and into joy as he also came to surrender himself to the Lord Jesus so that he was no longer dependent upon the things of this world. And so again, the, the question, is this the type of security that you want to know in your life? One in which you can say with David, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. You know, we, we see throughout this psalm that this comes by submitting yourself to the Lord so that you are fully dependent upon Him. Now the question, how do you do that? How do you do that? This type of submission to the Lord. Well, there's only one way that we are able to dedicate ourselves to the Lord. And it always starts by a recognition of sin. Uh, a recognition of of those areas of our lives in which our hearts are not fully dedicated to the Lord. It's, it, it comes when the Lord shows us a pie chart of our hearts. And what we're seeing there is we're seeing areas of sin when we see areas that are not dedicated to Him. Now that was the case with John Wesley. And that was the case with Jesus' disciples and with Hushu. They all came to see that there was some area of their hearts that were not dedicated to the Lord. There was some area of sin and what was needed. They needed to repent of that sin and to submit to the Lord and to trust in Him. And that's the need that you have. And that's the need that I have. Whether we're believers or have never trusted in the Lord Jesus before, that's always the path submission. You need to recognize those areas of sinfulness in your life and turn from them and then know that there is true freedom and joy and security at the foot of the cross. You know, as we do that, we can, we can take David's final words. If you look at them, it's verse 11. We can take those final words and we can make them ours. You make, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Notice the formula is always surrender and receive God's provision. This life that we're living today is a journey. And it's a journey in which God is constantly at work. If we know the Lord, we're looking to the Lord. He's constantly at work, showing us our need for Him. And He is willing to do anything to turn our hearts fully to Him. But we have to take heed. 
And we have to recognize those areas. We have to see the pie charts of our own hearts and recognize those, heart, those areas that are not fully submitted to Him and surrender them. You know, for John Wesley, after that point at which he went through that storm, it took him three years uh, to surrender to God the works that in his life he had, he had become dependent upon. But as he did, he, he says at one, one point that his heart was strangely warmed with a sense of security and a sense of well-being in the Lord. You know, as, as God shows you those areas in which you are dependent upon other people or upon the things of this world, you need to surrender those to Him. And as you do, you can know that the Lord will provide security. And He will provide a sense of well-being both in this life and as we look triumphantly upon death and upon the life to come. That's His provision for us. Please join with me in prayer. Father, we, we, we thank You, even though it's difficult, I think, to do that at times. To, to thank You for being relentless with us. Uh, for peeling our, our hands off of the things that we tend to hold so tightly upon. But thank You that we can know that if we are Yours, if we have turned and, and trusted in You, that You will continue that work uh, within us. And You will draw us ever closer to You, separating us from those, those things that would draw us in the opposite direction. And so we pray now, Lord, that You would help us at, at this time to see and to understand what our hearts are like, to understand what our need truly is, to understand where our dedication truly is, honestly, before You, that we might turn and surrender. We pray for Your help in that. We pray that You would give us a great confidence in our God. We pray this in Christ's name.